0: Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. We're recording.
1: Yay! Hi, how are you?
0: Hi, I'm good. This is so I mean, weird. This is not all still. husky
1: in all of these because it's the morning here, and I just woke up.
0: <laughs> we may have to swap these one day, and we'll do it when it's evening your time and morning my time.
1: I feel but like you really, couldn't I'm, cope with that. No,
0: I couldn't. I'm not a morning person. I'm out of, like, thankfully, I live, like, five minutes from where I work, so I'm usually out of bed 40 minutes before I start. <laughs> That's the <laughs> yeah, kind of person no. I am.
1: It's fine, though. There some, some people are morning people. Some people
0: aren't. I'm not. I'm not a morning person <laughs> at all. <sighs> um, no.
1: Well, it's. Raining here, so classic British summer.
0: (laughs) I'm a bit cold here because it's about 20 degrees, so classic Queensland winter.
1: (laughs) It's literally going to be a top of like 11 today. (laughs) It's the middle of summer. Oh my goodness! I know I'm so
0: cold. (laughs) I just wait till next summer where you're like, oh man, it's about 11. Yeah, so hot so hot. Shorts This is hot. what you yeah. yeah.
1: It's just shorts no,
0: weather.
1: A, yeah. <laughs> I know it's okay to complain because, like, all the British people are complaining about the rain. So, it's not just me, okay? Okay, good. Because it's, it's properly, like, it's not just a bit of drizzle. It's properly pouring. We've had, like, a month's worth of rain already in, like, a day. And it's going to be raining all week like this. And we... Oh, it does sound shots. like
0: a central Queensland. And that was Jack's oh. alarm. Okay. <laughs> That's proof that it's morning. But yeah. all of that rain, it does sound like a central oh. Queensland summer. I get a cyclone. I
1: know. I actually <laughs> feel like I'm at home. This is what <laughs> home feels like.
0: <laughs> it's just less cold.
1: Yeah, it's just usually really muggy and there are tons of mosquitoes and it's really hot and yeah, no, none of that. This is properly cozy weather. So we've been binging season three of Santa Clarita Diet.
0: Isn't it so good? Have you finished it yet?
1: No, we haven't finished it yet.
0: It's so so good. I love that show it's so good it's so funny I just I really love Drew Barrymore in that she's so good
1: she is I love um god we are the worst every time we start recording I forget the names of things the neighbor the little what's his name oh Eric the character's Eric. name is Eric. Right. Yeah. Eric yeah Eric I he's love the him best. he's my favorite he's my favorite character
0: yeah, me too. He's so good. Uh, yeah, so
1: Eric is so good. Very cute. I uh, This season is really clever. I just like the layered humour as well.
0: Mm.
1: Like the way that there are so many little jokes and uh, it's just very witty and clever.
0: And I like it, is. it is. I mean, it's such a good show. I think it has been cancelled, which I'm devastated by. I really want a fourth season.
1: Yeah, I saw people complaining about it online and I didn't know whether there had been any resolution, you know, like when they cancelled Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And, and it came like... back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just didn't know whether anything had happened or if it was still cancelled.
0: I'm not sure. I haven't really seen anything about it for a little while, but I I think it's really good. I really hope that they can continue. But I know you haven't finished it yet. But the end of this season almost would be a good closing point. But obviously, we just want to keep seeing more.
1: Yes, so it's has been interesting. On that note, did you see that the fourth season of The Good Place will be the final season of The Good Place?
0: <gasps> no, it didn't. So, I didn't. Oh, Although I guess Danny how many makes... times can they keep going? <laughs> anyway.
1: Sorry, I just don't want to talk over you.
0: No, it's all good. I'm done.
1: So I think it was Danielle Binks who tweeted this, but it was a statement from like the producers and stuff, just saying we want to end it on our own terms.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think in light of the fact that there are so many shows where people are like, no, we want more, we want it's really good that they've come out and been like, we always envisioned it as four seasons. We wrote four seasons, obviously at times we've wanted to continue because everyone loves it so much and we didn't expect this, but we don't want to drag it out because we wrote four seasons and that's how we imagined the character arc and everything. Yeah. And I think that that's quite good, like, that in storytelling they would end it where they want to end it on their own terms.
0: Yeah, I agree because, you know, a lot of these things, like, They get dragged out and things change and, you know, whatever. But then it ends up that things change anyway. Like one that I've been really disappointed by recently, I have only just finished watching the sixth season of Arrow because that's all that's on Australian Netflix. But they're about to start filming the eighth season, I think. But because... This is a common thing with a lot of TV contracts, I think, is that you just sign a seven-year contract, which is why there's probably a pattern you can pick where lots of people choose to leave at the end of a seventh season, even though there's continuing seasons. They just choose not to renew their contract. Um, But one of the main characters on Arrow is leaving at the end of the seventh season, and I'm like, But what? She's literally the main character's wife. Like, I hope she doesn't get killed off or anything, but I don't know. But I'm like, what? They're only doing eight seasons. I'm like, you can't stick around for, like, 12 more episodes? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is really odd. Yeah. But I, I do
1: think that we want more. We want more characters and stuff like that. But sometimes that means that we ruin... We ruin the show. We ruin what we love about the show as well. Like, I think um, one of the reasons Gavin and Stacey probably works as well as it does is because it's three seasons and it's
0: Mm.
1: six or seven episodes a season and it's really contained and then that just becomes a classic that everyone loves. And they, they are coming back for a Christmas special. And I'm sort of nervous, but then again, it's the same team. Everyone's on board, so... I'm sure it's bound They'll to. They'll be, be true
0: to the story, yeah.
1: Because it's written by James Corden and Ruth Jones as well, who wrote all the original series. So I'm sure it will be amazing.
0: Mm. But
1: it is. I, I think sometimes it's nice to have a smaller, a smaller season. Because but it is funny, isn't it? That like it feels like those long-running TV dramas. It's like a, a thing of the past. Like you know, I always talk about like Blue Healers like- and Heartbeat.
0: Like Grey's Anatomy is up to like yeah. season 14 and they're still not done. And Patrick Dempsey hasn't even been on the show for like five years or something. <laughs> That's oh. my, my only point of reference
1: for um, for Grey's Anatomy is like Patrick Dempsey, Sandra Oh, who was the one who was Meredith and Catherine Heigl. Like those are my points of reference. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. I've never watched it. I just know some things like that. But yeah, yeah. It's funny with TV shows because, like, I think that's one thing people often say about Friends is that, like, they should have done nine or eight seasons instead of ten. And it's like, well, actually, they thought they were going to get nine, and then halfway through the ninth season, they got a tenth season, so they had to quickly make something up to mm. extend it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we probably should stop talking about TV. Um, what are you reading? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, I need to eat humble pie right now because I just finished Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and a few episodes ago I said that it was my least favourite Harry Potter and that I had never reread it because it was so big and angsty and I didn't like it. <laughs> um so turns out I really like it. Um it's wonderful. It's so nuanced, and I'm so glad I reread it.
0: (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I just can't believe, like, I don't know, I guess this is the, you know, type of fan I am. Like, I would never go back and reread just one of the books anyway. Like, it's the whole series or nothing. But. Ain't nobody got to with that. Well, yeah, that's why I haven't reread it in, like, three years. But, (laughs) but, like. Then it means that I reread each book. So I do remember a pretty good amount of each book. Like I just can't like when you've reread the series in the past, have you just like skipped it? Like Yeah, I usually get up to
1: like number three and then I'm like, get yeah, I've actually I've got halfway through number four twice and not finished it because stuff's happened and it's also not my favourite. Um and then I've just been like, I'm just going to read – I don't know why, but, like, I just really liked Number 6, so I've just reread Number 6 and 7 a lot because they're my favourites and Order of the Phoenix was really
0: off-putting. This is so interesting to me. Like, I don't know. I just can't imagine doing that. Anyway, I'm eating I watch the movies individually, but, yeah, Yeah. anyway – I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad it's you have finally really reread it, yes, and uh really you know back, you know I mean the fifth one there's a lot of problems there, but like it has umbridge, everyone hates Harry because they don't believe Voldemort's back, you know Dumbledore's it army, is, it is like so there's angsty.
1: a lot, yeah it is. it is so angsty, but yeah lots of really good he's a depressed
0: fifteen year old boy, <laughs> yeah
1: I mean let's be honest he has PTSD from <laughs> yes he to does die. Yep. And no one helps him. So everyone's just like, oh, we thought it'd be better not to communicate with you just in case. Like, oh, my God. I know. Hogwarts needs some mental health training, honestly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, everyone go to the staff room. It's time for it's Are You OK Day. (laughs) Yes, they need Are You OK Day at Hogwarts. (laughs) Oh. Oh, man.
1: Oh, my God. And when he, like, collapses on the floor and has that last dream during the exam, they're like, oh, it's just the pressure of exams. I'm like, oh, my God, what kind of exams are you having? Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. I know. It's only their, like, junior exams. It's not even, like, their finals. He doesn't even take the finals. He doesn't graduate high school. No, because they don't
1: do seventh year. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, God, I just – I love when he's in his um, careers consult with McGonagall and he's like, oh, maybe want to be an aura. And Umbridge is like, "Mm, (laughs) I don't think so. And Umbridge, um, sorry, McGonagall's like, I will teach you every single day. If it's the last thing I do, you will become an aura.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, So good. Or like when he gets sent to his head of house, McGonagall, by Umbridge. And he's like, yeah, I've been sent here. I forget what he even does. But it's that classic one where it's like, have a biscuit, Potter. Like, she doesn't even punish him. She's like, have a biscuit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, she does make him do the detentions, though.
0: <laughs> oh, she does, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's when he gets, has to write, I must not tell lies.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Hmm. Anyway, so good. So was it a bit nostalgic?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It's funny though, because I can't really remember when I first read it. Mm. I don't know why. I just have never really enjoyed it as much. Oh, um, ah, yeah. the only other thing I wanted to talk about was what woke me up so early, which is why I then went back to sleep and then only woke up in time for us to call. So I sound all croaky.
0: <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> it's so sad though. I'm like, I'm gonna start crying. Um, so. I think everyone who listens will probably remember we went to see Eliza Schlesinger in Brisbane last year. So I was scrolling through Facebook this morning and I see a picture of Blanche, her dog, and then I see this massive long caption and I started reading it and it was about how Blanche has died.
0: Oh, I was so surprised because I guess I just didn't know how old Blanche was. but like I, No one does. Yeah, I read – through the um through the long caption that you sent to me (laughs) I read through it just like in bits and pieces because I was still at work so if I'd read it all in one sitting it might have been a bit more moving but oh there's just so much love for this dog I know so so we should
1: we should link to the full caption because it's really beautiful like Mm. I think the thing is even if you doesn't matter if you don't watch Eliza or whatever, what this is is about someone who rescued this dog from a shelter, which is why no one knows how old she is. And over 10 years, this dog has become her whole life. You mm. know, she comforted her. She had this really beautiful um, bit that she wrote that was like, you are my whole world, basically. Like when they they would go on the road together, they would travel together all through the time that she was, you know, cutting her teeth as a stand-up comic and she was traveling she would take blanche to shows people would meet her you know like it's just and as soon as i ta- so i woke jack up to tell him i was like oh my god babe blanche died and then he was like what but eliza and smoky husky are in japan so yeah they are That's overseas adorable at the moment
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah i mean it sounds like we're stalkers but They've got like Eliza is wonderful. Very with her active fans.
0: social media accounts. It's fine.
1: Yeah, and she's super wonderful with her fans. She takes mm. us everywhere with her, and she she is in Japan at the moment with her mm. husband, Smoky Husky. Yeah, I don't even know how that started, but it's whatever. Me calls him. Yeah. <laughs> um. So she's over there, and they got the news that like her beloved dog had died um and it's just heartbreaking it's Mm. so heartbreaking and i think the only other time i felt this sad for someone i do not know over their dog dying was when hobo died um
0: yeah
1: healthy's dog from the lady gang
0: yeah that was really sad yeah poor little hobo
1: i know but it was reading eliza's post was really beautiful because She's called it a eulogy to Blanche. And what she talks about is how she knew that she wouldn't have forever with her. So she gave her like all the love all the time. She never held back because she knew that this day would come eventually. And it's just really beautiful. And like, if you yeah. have a dog that you love, like, or any pet really, like, read her post. It's just so, 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 so beautiful. Oh, Just made my heart melt.
0: Yeah. No, so sad. Anyway,
1: I've done all the talking in this. What have you been doing?
0: Well, actually, this will brighten it up a little bit, hopefully. I watched the Jonas Brothers documentary called Chasing Happiness, and yeah. it was so good. Like, I want to watch it again already. <laughs> Did you hear that? I want to re-watch a documentary. <laughs> like, but oh, it was so good. It was just really... Like, really interesting because, I guess, again, by age and lack of internet and everything, as they were sort of coming up, also they're American, but as they were coming up and, you know, everything was happening and they were touring and everything, I didn't really know that much about them. I, you know, watched them in Camp Rock and would see their show on Saturday Disney sometimes. They had a Disney Saturday Channel Disney. show themselves. What? Yeah. Love Saturday Disney. Um, and, like, I knew you know, Year 3000 and, like, the hits or whatever. And then as they, you know, as Nick went solo and Joe did DNCE and everything, I liked their music a bit more and everything. So I sort of got to, got to like them better as artists individually, which is odd. But now I'm a mm. huge Jonas Brothers fan because I've gotten back together. But the whole documentary was about like sort of their rise to fame and then how they were trying to do different things but they were still a band so then they had to break up and come into their own and everything. But the way they spoke even about, because Kevin didn't go solo or anything, he just got married and had two adorable little girls and everything, but the way even the other two spoke about how like more confident and like how different Kevin is about, you know, how he's just like a better version of himself since becoming a father. It's like oh, break Aww. my heart. So good. But like really interesting though, just about how talented they all were from the beginning. Like there was a part where his, where their father said about Nick that when he was about three years old, he was walking down the hallway and he just sang, was singing to himself and he went like, la, la, la. And then it was like, hmm, that's not right, took steps backwards, walked forwards again to do it again and do it correctly, and then was like, yep, and kept walking. And the, the Cliff is like, you know, their dad is like, I just turned to my wife and was like, did you see that? <laughs> like just amazing musical talent from very young ages. It's very
1: impressive. I have absolutely no idea.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, have you ever been a fan of any of them?
1: Um, I mean, I used to watch the show on Saturday Disney, but yeah. then obviously, like, I was a bit on the older side. So mm. then I just kind of grew out of it, and I didn't really follow them or anything.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, you say you were on the older side. They When they did that show on Saturday Disney, they were, like, what, Nick's the youngest, but Nick was, like, 18. Like, they were too old for it. By the time they sort of got the show and were doing all of that, they were too old for it. And as a band, they were too old for it. And the show was, you know, Disney show. It was aimed at like eight-year-olds. That is so weird. Yeah, I know. I don't remember when it aired, (laughs) but I was not eight. (laughs) Mm. But I also didn't like it very much. I like Camp Rock.
1: Was that where they had to, it was kind of like real but fake? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't it was.
0: Think those they were confuse me. They, yeah, they do. Hey, it was hmm. like a sitcom, I guess, like a family show, and they were brothers, and even their younger brother Frankie was in it. But there was like different people playing their parents, and they were like all at high school, but they were a band. Yeah, it was like too Did real, they have but not a real. A different name
1: though, or were they the Jonas Brothers?
0: I think they were the Jonas Brothers, or they might have been Jonas. I don't know. The show was called Jonas.
1: It's so weird.
0: Yeah, it was confusing.
1: Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah,
0: anyway, the documentary was really, really good. It was really good. Yeah, I don't know. I've just been on a real Jonas Brothers high. I mean, they got back together and released, like, one song, and then all of a sudden I'm listening to their back catalogue. I'm watching Camp Rock. I'm (laughs) – then they released the documentary and listening to the new album. I'm like, all the content, please. I love it.
1: <laughs> Have you been reading anything?
0: Yes. I am just under halfway through The Flatshare by um, Beth, I'm O'Leary? My brain. Beth O'Leary. That's right. I was going to say Beth something, but I couldn't remember her she last really name. I really want to read that. It's so cute. So in case you haven't heard of it, everyone... I'm sure you have. The concept is that these two flatmates, one works night shifts and one has like a normal nine-to-five job. So they live together, but they have never met and they never see each other and they're never at the house at the same time. And I have just gotten to the part they have just met for like two seconds. Yay. Yep. It's I don't so want to normal, give away. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to give away how they make it, it's hilarious. Which is
1: why they have to rent a room because mm-hmm. house prices are ridiculous.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they're, it's literally like, like on the front of the book it says like Tiffy and Leon share a bed. Tiffy and Leon have never met. But <laughs> <I'm laughs> so yeah, really it's so good.
1: For it. I'm really excited. I've only heard good things. It sounds so good. Yeah,
0: it's really good. I think you'll really like it yeah anyway so that's the updates from us
1: yeah okay well we better crack on with the rest of the episode then yeah Our guest today is a mentor to young writers and graduated from the MFA program for writers at Warren Wilson College in the US. She's travelled and lived all over the world and now lives in Wollongong in New South Wales. We are talking to her about her beautiful debut novel, How It Feels to Float. Welcome to Better Words, Helena Fox. Hello, thank you
2: for having me. Thanks very much. Thank you for having It's so absolutely so our pleasure.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do feel the need that we possibly need to address um, that this is Michelle and I's first time interviewing someone separately. So she hasn't left the country yet, but we're in different cities. So <laughs> yeah, we've so, never done this before.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we might have a few little glitches, but hopefully it all works out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get right into it, Helena. So This book deals so intimately with grief. Um, Why did you want to explore that, you know, it's such a complex and deeply personal experience?
2: Um, I think what happened initially is that I started just writing a story and um, Biz just kind of showed up in my head and started telling her story. And um, as I learned more about her, she kind of first arrived by talking about my photographs, um, there was this just this, this voice kind of describing photographs that I had on my um, on my camera roll, and um, and I was intrigued by that. And as I kind of explored her more, I found out that her father had passed away, and that he still came to visit her. And so what happened from there was kind of figuring out what was going on with her and how she was dealing with the loss of her dad and I quickly discovered that um, he well not only did he die a long time ago but then he disappears again and it becomes um, vital to her to try and bring him back and and that's kind of the key pieces I had of her story and then I wasn't quite sure how to do her voice justice or her story justice so I, I carefully just Put her to one side and waited for it to be the right time for me to tell her tell her story. And so, um, what happened for me was that a lot of things happened in the intervening years, from the initial writing of her her little pieces to the final rushing through. Or, you know, what came out in a rush was about six years later, after I would lived with my own. Um, Loss and and intense grief at the at the loss of some uh, really dear person in my life and, and what that had done to me and to my mental health and I think um, having experienced grief and having experienced loss before um, and then having this really devastating loss happen I think I understood what I wanted to say and I wanted to explore more deeply the way that grief can can just undo you and upend you and and turn your your truth unreliable and hazy
0: oh, yeah. yeah
1: yeah it certainly is a very uh personal book to read as well like we can tell that you know there was a lot of you in that as well if you don't mind us saying
2: yeah I mean there is a lot of me and there's also a lot of um a unique human who isn't me and I think that was something I really enjoyed in the you know in as much as I was writing a, a, a sad and um you know sometimes quite distressing story I I was also following this extraordinary girl with this really unique voice and kind of quirky sense of humor and really interesting (laughs) way of seeing the world and she lost her dad you know you know I haven't had her exact lived experience I've had an experience that you could say runs parallel to hers um, with my you know my own you know my own family history is is different but similar and so Um, what I found really interesting was honouring Biz's story first but finding that my own experiences were weaving in and kind of touching almost like interweaving threads where every now and then I would just touch and and my experience and her experience would resonate. So my own dissociation kind of came into it and my own um, just yeah, floating out of my body, detaching from the world, feeling other, you know, all those things are my own lived experiences. Um, So it was interesting to kind of just weave in and out and find that I was not consciously writing my story but um, that it it couldn't help but come out through through this while also honouring her very unique,
0: very, very unique story as well. I think that's a really lovely way to put it. I guess you know, authors and writers do often say that, you know, there's there's parts of them in different characters, but mm. the way you just put that was really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> biz is such a wonderful character as well. On the page, she really comes alive and I just felt for her so much. I just wanted to reach in and give her a hug at times. You know, it's, it's such a compelling story. So, yeah, you've made such a wonderful character in Biz. Thank you yeah, I think um
2: as I wrote her story, I knew that I wanted very much to look after her and keep her as safe as I could. so what you feel reading her is similar to what I felt writing her just this mm. wanting very much for there to be a hopeful ending and a, and a new beginning for her so that's one of the one of the aim it wasn't so much an aim it's it's all quite unconscious when you're first starting and then I realised that I was intentionally working towards finding a way to keep her as safe as I could. Um, so, yeah, so similar feeling
1: of protectiveness and, and care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess something that's explored in the book and, you know, something that we talk about a lot in society is this idea that there's some sort of expiration period on grief um oh. that you're allowed a certain amount of time before you move on that you can ever really move on um oh. and how it feels to float really challenges that so do you mind sort of discussing that a little bit more especially I guess in, in relation to your own experience
2: um well what I think uh I have found is that it just never goes away and what it what comes in um one of the things I've been exploring in my life recently is this idea that things can can exist at the same time so you can be um, devastated by a loss or devastated by a turn of events and you can also be looking for hope and you can also laugh and you can also love and embrace life and um, and one of the things that i um, I have found that's helped me get through my own grief and and the way it has pulled me apart and, and kind of laid me bare is, is to work as hard as I can to find the ends, the, okay, this is true and it will never not be true. I will always miss this person and I will continue and I will honour them and I will look for the colours and I will cherish what I had and, and continue to love that person and think of them often, so... And I've I've experienced devastating grief at the at the loss of a friendship as well. It, it doesn't have to come in the form of the end of a life. It can be the end of a relationship or or a friendship, and that can be quite devastating as well. So I kind of wanted to explore the ways that all those losses can have an impact on you and 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 crumple you, you know, months or years later, you know, when when there's a reminder or a, or just a memory comes up unbidden and you just inside you you just heart cracks again you know and so I wanted to kind of that's just the truth and all the other things are also true you know the walking by the sea and 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 feeling hope and and feeling lifted up by by beautiful things is also true so that's kind of my own experience with that
1: Hmm. it's um it's very interesting I think the timing of when I read this book um, and when I was writing the last episode of my true crime podcast because mm. I wanted to explore those same notions in the final episode of the podcast as well. So um, the the crime that I discussed in that is 20 years old now, but mm. obviously, you know, for a mother who loses her child, it feels like yesterday And, um, so for the final episode, I really wanted to look at how she rebuilt her life and how it's different and she's a different person. But one of the things that she said that really stuck with me was, you know, she said a part of her died when her daughter died, you know, and she was sort of mourning the loss of her daughter, but also mourning the loss of that person that she knew she could never be again.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, um.
2: Well, I, that's a devastating story. I just so much compassion to to that woman and, and what she experienced, and I, yeah, and just kind of want to sit with that for a minute and just honor that. And um, I think it's true. I think um, I, I think about my own dad and how he's been gone for a long time, and and but every now and then my sister texts me and says, well, she'll she'll just say something. We almost speak in code about him she'll send an emoji or she'll be like thinking of him today and you know I'll have visual snatches of of my time with him and it was a very complicated relationship um but the loss of him you know I felt like I was losing him for a very long time um since I was a mm-hmm. child really when when he died and so it's interesting to whenever you touch on it and I think I used a word um I kind of referenced that um in the book just the sense of like a tongue on a tooth like it you'll always kind of it'll always come back to you and and the part of you that didn't have that loss or or didn't have that hurt um you know you'll you'll always be affected um and not ever be the person you'll never be that person again without the loss you have to walk with it kind of for the rest of your life but it stops maybe being front and center of every waking moment um hopefully i mean but there's no rule that it has to be that way either. It's, it's very complicated, isn't it? It's really. It just, is. It's it, kind it of is.
0: a kind yes, of an incredible
2: yes. myriad and in, in of, of feelings and thoughts and, and it's messy and what it is is very unique to every single person and and I know someone who read my book said well, well my my grief wasn't like that and I thought how could we can't all we would all have our own unique stories of loss and. You know, I can only write what I know and what I imagined for this as well.
0: Yes, definitely. I think that grief really is something that, you know, I mean, every human walks through life with different experiences than everyone else. But grief seems to be something that is so, so individual that Mm -hmm. you never really know, you know, how you will react or how someone you love will react or how... Mm -hmm it will, will affect you and it's so personal and so unique and yet somehow how it feels to float is still relatable when it you know it has come from you know elements of your own experience yeah Do you I think you would have been able to write the same book without certain experiences
2: um I think uh I think it's a combination of my grief experiences and my mental health experiences and mm. I guess um having having had to live with mental health issues and mental illness since um you know since kind of pre-memory really um it's kind of all I know to have you know and then realizing i have to live with it and i have to manage it and I have to carry it with me and then to have grief come in and you know just as you think okay i, I think i've got this living thing down and then grief comes <laughs> takes your legs out from under you um and there's you know i remember you know there, there are people i lost at you know quite a young age and then you know and the steady kind of you know loss that is watching you know watching a parent you know not 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 cope very well with with life and you know so all those things kind of wove into my mental health and affected it really my whole life and so I think um it's a lifetime of those lived experiences that um have influenced the book and I think it's kind of like I don't know that I could have written any story really any differently because I feel like I've been living with these things forever and I think what was interesting, I think, for this book was it was it was when I finally understood it was almost like a conscious "Oh, I'm writing a book about how grief affects mental health i'm I'm writing a book mm-hmm. about how it turns your way of seeing upside down and and that was a very very much um, a raw experience from a very recent loss, and so yeah, I think. Even though I'd I'd had experiences all through my life that influenced the book, it was that one really acute experience in a way, you know, it knocked me completely sideways. And it was like, oh, okay, now I actually know how to write the most acute parts because that's when my dissociation, you know, went and had a really great time (laughs) with my brain. (laughs) It was like, oh, we're going to play. We're going to, we're going to, you're going to float for a really, really, really long time, you know, and. I'm laughing about it now because in a way you kind of go, huh, you know, I, I had that lived experience. I hated it. It was awful. But I made a book and that's beautiful. So I have that, you know. Yeah, certainly.
1: <laughs> was it therapeutic for you to go back over those experiences and, and to see how they affected Biz as a character? Um, yeah, I mean, I think
0: – I.
2: It, it's hard to know when when my conscious understanding of what I was doing came in. And I know that I wrote quite a bit of the book in a quite severe state of dissociation. Um, and it was almost after I wrote, I think, the first draft of the book. And then I um, got more treatment and um, was kind of pulled out of that space um, by beautiful, beautiful mental health experts and I was able to look and go oh um okay so I'm writing I'm writing a book um and I can see where my experiences are here and I and there was something really lovely about going I kept going the writing of the book is kind of the anchor that kept me going through that really difficult time it was every morning I sat down and I wrote this book and I wrote it from this hour to this hour, and I knew every day I was going to do that, and it was kind of the thing that kept me going. And, and so afterwards, when I looked at what I'd done and what I'd achieved over that period, and that I'd written this story of Biz um, in a way that was trying to keep her safe and was touching on those experiences, then I could go, yes, this has been therapeutic, and yes, this has been healing but i don't think i actually was aware of of the healing qualities really until i'd written it all down you know it's sometimes you know when you write out all your feelings in your journal and then afterwards you feel like you've let go of something and released kind of a weight it's it's quite oh it's a yeah bit, yeah <laughs>
1: so yeah. you're not
2: going oh i'm going to i'm this is going to feel great afterwards you don't know that until you've written it and then you just feel just a tiny bit more like you can step through the day yeah mm. yeah, yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
0: gosh. Yeah. Uh,
1: so you know obviously this book is very deeply involved with grief and mental health that you know we've sort of touched on that but something mm. else that um you explored in this was sexuality and also um yeah. touched on slut shaming a little bit why did you want to touch on those experiences as well? Because, you know, already grief and mental health, it's it's quite a it's quite a um, you know, deep issue to talk about anyway. So why did you want to add those extra elements in as well? Um well the sexuality stuff
2: stuff, I call it. <laughs> <The sexuality, laughs> you know, and you're just like that, because it's just like, oh, it's so big, you suddenly call it stuff when it's obviously a lot more nuanced than that. Um I kind of realised that there's wasn't um wasn't going to be straight when I was writing the rewrite of my of my initial drafts those tiny little snatches that I'd I'd written eight years before and I remember sitting down and um she's got these runaway thoughts it's three in the morning she can't sleep and one of the things that just keeps rolling over and over in her head is the fact that she's just kissed her best friend Grace um, and she's feeling really just like, what what's that going to mean for my friendship? What does that mean for me? What do I even think about that? And I, I remember thinking, huh, okay, yes, that makes sense to me. And it was more that it just made sense to me that she was, um, n- you know, not necessarily straight but also not sure of what label she could put on herself. And I think um, I ended up exploring that the most in kind of the first – part of the book because she's just trying to live her regular high school life yes she's got a dad who keeps you know who keeps visiting her 10 years after he's passed away and yes he does float over her desk and tell her stories about his life when she's trying to get her maths homework done but she's trying to normalize (laughs) the rest of her life and part of that regular experience as a young person is trying to figure out her sexuality and I think all in fact, I'd say all all people at this, you know, these days are, are, are thinking on that question a lot more than people used to. Now that it's not such a heteronormative society, we're like, well, who am I? Who do I like? And who might I want to kiss? And and these are conversations that my my students have talked to me about, that um, my kids have talked to me about. This is conversations that are happening, you know, on Tumblr and instagram and discord and all the ways that um people chat with each other and it just felt very true to to how i saw biz and it felt very true to um my time working with young people that this is actually a really important part of their lived experience is just kind of who they who they're in love with who they're drawn to so that just came very naturally to me Um, and just felt very much okay. This is biz, and I I don't think I could have written her any other way. Um, the 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 slut shaming, um, it just happened as I wrote it. It was suddenly you know there she was potentially losing her friend Grace to um, to this boy, and and I think she just was like, ah, oh, what's and I actually have had a similar time trying to figure things out myself when I was younger. It was um, why don't I feel the same way as these other young people feel? Why don't I act the same way? Um, why am I not, um, you know, why does, why, why do my feelings not look like um, what people do in the movies or mm-hmm. do you want, you know, On paper like what how do they how is it that they can be so physical when my the words that people throw at me is prude and frigid and so it was then in came kind of my own journey into kind of understanding my sexuality and so you know when when Biz does makes the choices that she makes it's part of her questioning and part of you know trying to fit in trying to be normal so um and then of course i remember very clearly just how anyone out of the norm anyone doing things that you know challenge the status quo it's like well then you're different you're odd you're other and you know and i i you know escalated that in the story um because it just seemed to need that that element so it wasn't like i'm going to oh i'm i'll just add these enormous elements to it it just felt like it was part of Biz's journey as a young person in a high school environment Um, and I you know I just it just felt very true to to who she was and very true to the experiences of young people that I've worked with for many years Mm. that's a long answer I know
0: (laughs) no no it's fine yeah, yeah I think that's really good and you know part of what I was just thinking about while you mean you know, you've giving that long answer that wasn't all that long, um, was that, you know, people are more than one thing. And, yeah. you know, this story of Biz as, you know, a teenager, like there's so much going on. Of course, there's more than one, you know, yeah. big theme throughout yeah. the book almost.
2: Yeah, very much so. And I, I know people who, um, Oh, you know, just instantly comes to mind. You know, the number of young people who've who've talked to me at my dining table and who've, you know, we've sat in various places and they've just started talking about their lives and they're managing schoolwork, mental health issues, um, love stuff, you know, sexuality stuff, um, being heartbroken, being be- betrayed, you know, things not working out as they want. Um, I've been Unbelievably privileged in that I get to sit with young people and they talk and we talk like humans. Um, mm-hmm. Probably because I'm not a teacher and I'm not, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not in the school environment. And so I, I'm just a person who they talk to, who they, who we write together with, and we, they're our souls as writers. And so um, I hear about, the, you know, what's on these amazing young people's plates and it's definitely complicated and 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 you know you could go well what you know I could say what what's making you feel a certain way and they'd be like well have a look at this plate you know which things you want to pick up and explore Mm. because there's a lot here you know and yeah my heart goes out to a number of the amazing people I get to work with because they've got a lot to carry so
0: yeah and that all seems so much heavier than Oh goodness, be <laughs> a again. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, so. I definitely wouldn't want to go back there. Uh, yeah.
0: God. Yep. Yeah. Sixteen-year-old Caitlin was very different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think. So, um.
2: At the same time, I have to say though that these young people are full of fire and mm. power and and spit and ready to like they they've got stories in them that are really fantastic and I'm, and it's like while they're living that experience, um, I don't think they're thinking, oh, I want to be, you know, 10 years ahead. I think they're just trying to figure out that experience and trying to make the best of it. But, yeah, sometimes we can look back and go, oh, you know, oh, that was hard or, you know, I would love for this to be easier, but, you know, at the same time, I'm, you know, I, I know amazing, like, climate change warriors who are 17 years old, you know, and they're, they're actually – out there making a difference in the world and that makes me so inspired yeah
0: yeah mm. that's definitely pretty impressive yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry but, probably, probably sounds like I'm gushing about my young the young
0: writers but I just no uh, I please do talk about <laughs> hours <laughs> um we would love to hear a bit about your adventures overseas though and how that's oh. influenced your writing
2: Ooh. um Okay that's yeah i think um well i i was born in peru and so i was yeah <laughs> i was born wow. in peru and um my first language was spanish and i remember very clearly um going to a school in england uh in a little in a town called reading and going to um I think preschool or kindergarten and hiding out in the little kitchen play area because I didn't understand what anyone was saying and so Uh. I remember looking out through the windows and this all these faces and all these noises and not understanding what people were saying and that that I think had a pretty big impact on on me Um, and then having to learn English my parents um, were told that the only way to really embed the English language was to stop speaking Spanish to me. So I I actually lost my first language and suddenly had to figure out the new one quite quickly. And yeah, so that was, that was a big, that was a big shift. And you know, my, my parents' lives were very tumultuous. There was a lot of, you know, not being together and then being together again. So we moved around a lot as they were figuring that stuff out and, So we went to – my mum and my sister and I went to Barcelona in Spain and we lived there for a while and then we moved to England and then we moved to Australia and then we moved to Samoa um, where I spent two and a half years there and um, then came back and had to try and fit into Australian normal suburban life and just Mm. being the oddest person out. Oh, my gosh. I mean – I. Teased about my accent. Um, I didn't know how to walk. I remember watching this popular girl walk and trying to imitate her walk just so that maybe I could fit in. You know, I was just, uh, yeah, I, I look back and I just want to give child me the biggest hug because I was so lost and I... We, in Samoa, we didn't have a television. We didn't, you know, my I just listened to the records that my parents listened to. So it was, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and the Bee Gees. And, you know, and I showed up to to primary school, sixth grade, and nobody was listening to that. And everybody was super cool and kissing boys. And like, I don't know any of this language. I don't understand it. And, and then, of course, I went to three different high schools. And so... And then of course the wandering, the you know, the nomadic childhood kind of took hold and I went wandering myself and went to New Zealand and lived in America and then permanently moved to America for about seven years and that's when I got my, my MFA, which I'm thrilled that I got to do that. Um yeah, but I moved around quite a lot in the US as well. Yeah, and then I came home with with a husband and a child and a an MFA degree and And then it was like, oh, I'm in Wollongong. And when are we going to leave Wollongong? And um, (laughs) But we didn't. (laughs) So it took me a while to understand that I was somewhere that actually brought me real joy, that I was beside the sea. You know, it wasn't hectic here. And I could actually put roots in and build a community. And and that has been unbelievable As, as someone who was raised as a complete nomad to spend the last 18 years of my life in one place that had never happened to me before I moved here. So yeah, so lots of moving, lots of otherness, lots of not fitting in. Um, And so I think I've, I often write from the point of view of of a watcher or someone who, you know, Biz is very much a watcher, um, an observer, and she's got the added difficulty of her loss and her grief and her mental health issues. And, and so I think I just wrote, Uh, with a completely deep and abiding understanding of what it feels like to be on and on the outside so yeah it was a yeah a bit of a lonely childhood I would say but I I do have one dear friend from when I was eight years old who you know we got to stay being friends and now she's just one of my closest friends and that's kind of extraordinary to me that you know out of all of that travel and all of that disconnection you know there are people from my history who are constant still in my life which is kind of a marvel and a miracle I'm
0: quite quite amazed by that
1: yeah
0: I love that I think it is you know a real testament you know it's it's so hard to stay friends with people sometimes like as life changes Mm -hmm. and I think it's really impressive when people you know are friends for for so long so that's really wonderful
2: Yeah, it's kind of a surprise because,
0: yeah, we we were
2: good friends and then we um, lost touch and then we just recently got back in touch and it's like, oh, my God, I've known you since I was eight. (laughs) (laughs) And that, like, how is it that in this wild history that, you know, there's this person who's known me since I was basically a a baby. So um, that's been really lovely, actually, very recent lovely thing. So, you know, you can feel quite and I wanted to talk about this a little is um, so many things can make you feel lonely and it can be um, the travel and and the newness like this goes from school to school to school. And um, and that's such a disembodying feeling, just just moving like that. And and there's so much loneliness inherent in that. And then I also thought about how lonely grief can be because so many people don't know what to do with profound and and long lasting grief, they don't just, it's very, very hard for them to kind of navigate around a sad person, and and I've experienced that. So I was thinking there's so many elements of loneliness in our lives where we feel alone, even if we're surrounded by people, we can feel very alone, and, and so I think, you know, in all the other things that I was explore, exploring, I realized, kind of looking back, it's like, ah, oh, I've also explored loneliness, and, um, yeah, and just kind of wanting to write a book that said look at what happens when people reach out and offer a way through, like, offer community and offer love and connection and companionship and just quiet cups of tea on a couch. And and the life-saving quality of that when you do feel so lonely has been kind of one of the, the things I've, I've realized I'm, I most want to um, – Kind of celebrate in a way that you know I wrote this book that was about connection and compassion and and kindness and you know and just that reaching out and offering offering just any kind of lifeline to that kind of lonely, isolated person mm. yeah
0: yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think it's um it's very interesting to hear you talk about all your different experiences overseas because I'm about to move overseas for the first time mm-hmm. and I'm very nervous about, you know, what what could happen and stuff like that, but I guess in in these um very connected days, at least most people are only a Skype or a, a phone call yeah. away. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know
0: the, that yeah, when
2: I moved you- lived in the same place
0: your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, are you going, where
2: are you moving to? Uh, we're moving to England. Oh, okay. And do you know people there?
1: I do have some friends there, yes, but um, we may not end up living near them. Um, everything's still up in the air. We leave on Thursday. So oh, as we chat now, everyone, it's Tuesday <laughs> night. Um, so oh, we leave oh. in two days and... Um, yeah, my partner's trying to find a job, and so we might end up living a, a, a little bit away from uh, my friends. But
0: mm-hmm. for the
1: for the chance to have a stable job, I think that we both much appreciate that, and um, to have a steady income would be worth it.
2: Yeah. Well, I know that um, moving to a brand new place. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that I would I guess say is just just hold on when the ride kind of gets a little rough or when you feel a little bit lost um, because things do shift over time and connections aren't instantaneous, but when they come, they can be beautiful and kind of deep and, and, and then however many years later, it's like, Oh my gosh, I met this person who I have now known for five years and I remember meeting them at this pub in England or, you know, Mm -hmm. I met one of my oldest friends in a writing class in Seattle in Washington and I remember being very lonely in that time, really, really lonely. And I didn't know that I was meeting a a friend I would still be in touch with, you know, decades later. And so it's one of those things that it's like, I guess, looking back, it's like, oh, I could have even taken, now that I know that I was stepping into that, it's one of the things that gets me through that loneliness is going, oh, you know, I am lonely and I've just had this new adventure where I've, walk to this place that i've never been before or um i take a lot of photos um probably doesn't surprise you having you know <laughs> looked through my book um but you know just that thing of like capture this remember this you know this kind of sense of here i am in this moment and i'm it's scary and it's also beautiful and exhil- exhilarating and i know that i went to i went somewhere new the other day I, we visited a bookstore. And I got off the train and I thought, I have never been in this part of Sydney ever in my life. And I've never walked up this street and I've never done this thing and I've never gone here. And I suddenly thought, oh, wow. And <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, sometimes that can be a little bit of an antidote to that fear and that, oh, I don't know anyone. And, oh, this is awkward of stepping into these new spaces. But there's also that flip side of, I've never done this before. And, you know, oh, almost, yeah. Yeah, almost Playing with your mind almost, just going, its you know, it is scary and it's also an adventure is something that I've had to work on for years um, to navigate my own fear and, and apprehension about new things and anxiety about things. It's, I'm learning to go, I accept all of those feelings and I'm also in the middle of an adventure.
1: Yeah, mm. which I guess it sort of comes back to what you were talking about at the start when when you accept that you're going to feel grief, but you can also feel a multitude of other things as well. Yeah, I think mm. it's
2: I think um one of the things I actually wrote into the book was the form of therapy that um receives in in the book is called acceptance and acceptance commitment therapy is actually a form of psychological um, health help that you can get and I remember learning about it it's actually this technique that you have and it's almost like a practice that you work on um about accepting accepting things and not holding on to them tightly or resisting them it's about going okay yes I accept that I'm feeling this way um and and almost like holding it lightly so that other things have room to to be there with you and so um I know that that's been really helpful to me. So, and it genuinely is something that's saved saved my life. Really, is that sense of accepting. Sometimes um, I still have mental health issues. I still have really difficult days. Um, Really, just like in you know, like a star collapsing kind of day. It's like you just can't see a way out. And so, one of the things that helps me a lot is just going. Yes, I feel terrible. Um, and just riding it, riding it almost like a wave of pain. It's like, and I think of it almost like a trash wave. Like it's a, it's just, you're just on top of this whole thing and there's debris everywhere and you're like incredibly uncomfortable or really sad. Um, and so, and it's quite painful. And so as, as I ride it, it's like, here I am, I'm riding this wave, this difficult moment. It is as hard as, as anything, um, you know, in in each moment when you're when you're dealing with a difficult mental health moment, it's it's like, ah, oh, this is so hard. Let me out, let me out. Um, part of me that's part of uh, what's helped me is just going, I am I am riding the wave of it. I'm just going to ride it. I'm just going to ride it. And you don't know when it's going to end. But gen generally, what I have found by not fighting it and by just going, here I am on a trash wave. Here I am in this hard moment. Um, there's it almost it's almost like because i'm not fighting it it just passes it just moves through you know it's just an unbelievable feeling to to ride it and then the the next day or the next moment going ah oh, it's yeah you know, it's like i don't know i don't you know when it's like a physical pain and then when it passes there's this lovely feeling of i made it i made it through that wave and look at me you know <laughs> look at me managing this hard moment um so, yeah, the acceptance mm. is a huge part, huge part of my kind of survival bag of tricks. I think you just put
1: that so beautifully. That's, yeah, <laughs> it's just perfect. Um, so I'd just like to ask then to, to finish off, you know, um, we often ask debut authors how the publishing process has been. I'd love to know, if there was any advice you could go back and give your past self before you got that publishing contract, what would it be? Um,
2: uh, well, let's see. One of the things that was really interesting for me was that I got a publishing contract in the U S and Australia at the same time. Um, and so I was, yeah, yeah, so I've been released by the U S by, um, an imprint of Penguin Random House. So I'm with, um, a publishing company called Dial that is part of the big umbrella of Penguin Random House. And so the lead editor for me was actually my US editor, um, a woman called Jess, who was amazing. And um, I think what might have helped me, um, I mean, I, I navigated it, okay, it was just really intense, very intense, and just kind of it was a different kind of wave entirely. It was like, you are about to be hit by a massive load of work. Hold on. Um, so it might have been, um, my advice might have been like, just so you know, you're going to be working really, really, really hard and you're going to finish um, your edits for your for this publisher and then you're going to need to work in a different way with your Australian publisher and you're going to have two deadlines and two two big kind like lots of emails coming and I think it was like just remember to sleep because I kind of stopped sleeping for about eight months <laughs> um so remember to sleep go for walks know that um and the thing is it's it's not that exhilaration and adrenaline and sleeplessness is not unique to me I actually have two other friends who unbelievably we we all got publishing deals about the same time and the intensity of their work isn't hasn't been you know, less than mine. It's just mine was just a bit different because I was having to work with with these two publishers, but we were all kind of going, whoa. <laughs> so Aww. there was something really kind of lovely about knowing that that and that adrenaline and the you know the worries. Um, is this? Am I doing this right as a debut author? Everybody feels that way. Um, all three of us have you know had the intense highs and lows of is this going to work out? Have I done the right thing? You know, did I did I put the? Have we caught all the typos? So that mm-hmm. I think what I would say is what you're feeling is completely normal. Prepare for an incredible load of work and remember
0: to sleep. <laughs> so
2: mostly just remember very to sleep.
0: That's good advice. <laughs> I also yeah that must have been so. Well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it would have been really nice to go through that at the same time as friends of yours, like all sort of going through those steps together.
2: Yeah, I think um, that's one of the things, you know, when I think about things that have helped me through um, is we have this Friday uh, women writers group down here in Wollongong and um, one of my friends, her book came out a month before mine with Pachette and my other friend, her book is coming out with um, Picador in September and then the two other friends as part of it are also getting they're doing their PhDs and they're also working on their novels and so all of us just sit there and we just love talking about what we're reading and how we're you know managing writing and how we how we're balancing our lives um, and I didn't have a writing community I was mostly being a mum when I first moved to Wollongong and so I just I made friends with fellow mums um but I didn't have like an a writing community and when I met these four other women it was like hey suddenly we were together and suddenly we were this really tight group partly because we were having such similar experiences and partly because Mm -hmm. we were all really passionate about the work really in love with words in love with writing like the way that the way that we talk about a book that we love is like, you know, somebody who's like tasted the best meal they've ever had, you know. It's, oh, you've got to try this, you know. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so there's something really nourishing about being with you, like minds and and whether it's I think about other writers who are aspiring towards that. And and I just think any kind of connection, people find it on Twitter you know so they might find it online and I know there's an incredibly supportive writing community on Twitter it might be on Instagram or Facebook, but you know physical or online that just that sense of here's a like mind um, you know just somebody to say, "Oh boy, you know, I only wrote ten words today I mean but I wrote ten words you know uh, <laughs> so and or someone to just gush about a book with that that not only loves books but also loves trying to make magic themselves with their words is just a really lovely I feel really grateful for that yeah
1: yeah absolutely there's nothing better
2: (laughs) yeah it really is I think having been kind of lonely for a for a long time and then planting myself in Wollongong and finding these relationships not just with writers but with other tremendously creative people in the Wollongong community that's I'm I'm friends with circus performers and visual artists and musicians and it's like oh my god it's like everywhere you look there's somebody doing something some incredible project and and because I've been somewhere long enough now I can actually be part of a community a creative community and like there's no I, I think grateful is just not even big enough at all for how I feel when I when I know I'm living somewhere beautiful and I get to be surrounded by these people I admire and respect and and then that extends to gratitude for the the writers who've embraced you know who've welcomed me into the community who are you know in the U.S. and the writers you know from the Wollongong University who didn't know me who who are supporting me and it's kind of like you step into this world and everyone's like, hey, come join us, come sit at our table, and it's a really lovely feeling not having had that a lot very much growing up or at all. So it's kind of like, oh, I get to, I get to be here and I belong and I'm, I'm welcomed and, yeah, it's a pretty – I think that is the most magical, one of the most magical parts of this whole experience is being part of something bigger, being part of – just a world of people who love words as much as I do and we can all kind
0: of geek out (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean that's basically Um. exactly why we started this podcast so (laughs) yeah yeah, it's beautiful what you
2: guys do I think it's wonderful thank Mm. you
1: yeah thank you yeah we love it Um, I think that's a wonderful note and a very uplifting note to end this chat on because we've touched on some um, pretty serious things. Yeah. So, look, thank you again, Helena, for joining us. Where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram mostly. Um,
2: I'm mostly, um, I'm Helena Fox Oz on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm, on Twitter, I mostly write things like, well done to other authors and thank you to people who've been kind to me. And on Instagram <laughs> you'll see a lot of pictures of the ocean and my cats so, <laughs> with kind of little reflections on life. So that's the main places that you find me. I do have a website that I desperately need to update. But, yeah, I'm, I find Instagram to be a really lovely place to hang out because it's just I love photographs. So it's a yeah. really, yeah. Yeah, yeah Twitter, we love Instagram. Twitter moves so <laughs> fast. I find Twitter to be so fast. It's like you can sit there for one minute and it's like 20 new tweets and it's like, oh. So Instagram, I sit there and I'm like, that's really pretty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's like, like, like the, the perfect <laughs> description of those two. Oh, that's good.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh. But this Thank is you so much question. for joining us. It's been so fun to chat to you and listen to you speak so beautifully.
2: Thanks for having me. It's been really wonderful. So I've been just so looking forward to talking with you. So thank you so much for asking me to be part of it.
1: So lovely.
0: (laughs) Thank you for saying yes. It's
1: our pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us.
0: And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at Better Words Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.